You know, again, I, I keep saying this, and I'll say it again tonight. You know, I, I'm just so impressed with what the music is coming out, and that's from, from Aaron over at First Baptist Church. But, you know, if we're not careful, we miss the power of the words. We do it really with every song that we sing. Um, we sing them, but we don't understand. See, that whole song was written along the lines of, Christ is sufficient for me. That when it comes to my salvation, that I have to bring nothing to the table. That Christ is sufficient. That, that His death on the cross, total payment, total appeasement to the Father for my sin. And that's a wonderfully huge truth. But as we sing it, we sometimes miss that. Some of the great hymns of God. It is well with my soul. The world's crashing around me. Things are falling apart. But it is well with my soul. If we don't sing that, if we don't understand what we sing, they are just words. And I really think that ties in with what I was trying to say and I'm going to say tonight about the Word of God. Is that it's got to get some on some level beyond just picking up our Bible and reading it and never letting it penetrate the truth, penetrate into our hearts. So I asked the folks at the dinner table this afternoon, so what did you learn from the lesson this morning? And, and one person responded and said that they learned they should take their Bibles to church. And I said, well, that's really good. I was hoping for something a little deeper, but, but that was good. That was good. And, and then, you know, one person made a comment that it was cool they thought that the word continue meant abide. And I thought that was really cool. They picked up on that. So I thought, well, you know what? It never hurts to do just a little bit of a refresher. I try to do that anyway when we continue the thought. And so I got my sermon sheet from this morning out just a little bit. I want to kind of go to the Scripture one time quickly, and then we'll hit what's new tonight, okay? First of all, we got John 8, 31, okay? I hope you brought home from this very crucially, okay? Then said Jesus to those who believed on him. Do you remember? The idea behind believe was not a commitment. It was an agreement. They were listening to him talk, and they were agreeing that he was, yeah, what you're saying, it sounds pretty good to us. That's pretty good. But there was no commitment, and I paralleled it to a politician, and he's wanting your vote, but you haven't made the commitment to vote for him. You're just sitting there going, yeah, that's right. The economy's this way. Yeah, the America's this way. Yeah, that's right. I want to do this. Yeah, I agree with that. And the crowd was nodding, and the crowd was a nodding and, a nod, nodding and agreeing with Jesus Christ. But there had not been a commitment yet. And so that's why he goes one step further. He goes beyond just saying, you know, here it's seeing them nod. says, now, there's something you need to know before you just stand there and nod, okay? If you continue in my word, if you abide, if you bask, if you ingest, if you allow the word, my teachings, okay, if you do that, then you are my disciples indeed. If not, you're just in agreement. Whatever you are, you're not my disciple until you agree to continue to abide, to bask, to allow, to ingest this word to change you. And then, I, I thought this was so powerful this morning. And then, a verse that we're so common with, 832. And you shall know the truth. You shall experientially, okay, you shall by experience know the truth. Truth the person and truth the precept. Truth the person and truth the word of God. You shall know the person. You shall know the truth. And knowing that truth, the person and the precept is going to set you free. And so many people today, even though the believers in Jesus Christ are in bondage. And guys, my heart's desire for me as your pastor and my heart's desire for you is that we might be finally free from the things that are holding us in bondage. And this world has plenty enough to hold us in bondage. And you know, by the way, by bondage, I don't mean necessarily sin. Sometimes they're just that gray area that robs us of the joy and victory God wants for us. So then we move down to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And we talk about all Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, the parts we like and the parts we don't like, the parts that are easy and the parts that are hard, okay? All Scripture is God-breathed. 
Some guys just didn't come up with it on their own, okay? It was God-breathed. It was inspired of God, okay? And because it's God's Word, it's not just a collection of 66 books. Because of that, it is profitable. It's good. Say, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good for, and what did he say? It's good for doctrine. If you want to know about God, it's good for that. If, if, you're, if you've got some sin or you think you have some sin in your life, this book will tell you what sin is. And sin is what offends God, okay? And it will tell you, you have to guess, gee, is that a sin or not? Okay, it will tell you that. It's good for reproof. It's good for correction. What to do with the sin in your life. It's good for that. And it's good for instruction in righteousness. It's good for teaching in righteousness, okay? It's, it's good for learning how to live Right. That's what righteous. A right standing. Righteous is a right standing. A right living before God. It's good for that. In the illustration, the word, that, that instruction word means child rearing. Just like you take a child and rear a child up. Okay? In fact, we have a scripture. Tramp a child in the way he should go and when he's old will not depart from it. Alright? Uh, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In that same thought, in that same way, we then are to allow the Word of God to raise us up as children to mature adults. adults. And he goes on and says that because that the man of God may be perfect, may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And the Word of God does that. And guys, we've got to get back to it. You know, it's for so long. Did you know... There used to be a thing called a shouting Baptist. Did you know that Baptist was more like Pentecostal in the early days than the Pentecostals are today? I'm not saying we need to do that. I'm just saying, did you know that? Did you know that 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that Baptists were known of a people of the Word? That we were, we were famous for saying, thus saith the Lord, and doing what thus saith the Lord did? Uh, what's Jerry Fine's most famous sermon? A Baptist and his Bible. Famous. How long ago was that preached? 10 years? 12 years ago? 15 years ago? And yet, folks, we've moved somehow, somehow, somehow. The older generation, the middle generation, it's it's, it's crossed generational lines. We have moved away from obeying the Word of God, endearing the Word of God to our lives. And that's what the message is about this morning. Falling in love again with the old, old Word of God that never changes and never expires. And so we moved in then to two other famous scriptures about the Word of God. And first go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 and through 21. 2 Timothy 1, 16 through 21. I hope you're watching Bibles tonight. And Dave, you know, I just saw something. You know, we all had the scriptures up on Sunday nights. Could we do that? We could do that, couldn't we? Would you remind me on Tuesday we'll talk about it and how to do it? I just thought about that. I was saying, you know, in case we don't bring our Bibles. Of course, here in the, in the sanctuary, guess what's sitting in front of you? A pew Bible. You know, along when I first came here, we bought pew Bibles in case the person... That was before we had the capacity to put words on the screen, okay? I mean, we had a projector, but not the Word of God. So um, things have changed a little bit, all right? So we have one of those scriptures today in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 21. Now, let me share something with you. The first part of this, all the way down through uh, verse 16, 17, 18, really don't have a whole lot to do with the Word of God. And then you'll see a transition talking about a more sure prophecy and, and you know, all Scripture and all this other stuff coming up out of that. But why did I include verse 16, 17, 18? I want to tell you why. Sometimes, again, the fact, let me, the fact we have this is just divine miracle. I mean, the fact that we had the Bible preserved through the through the centuries, through the millennia, it's just a divine miracle. 
The fact that we know so much about Jesus Christ, Nita, is nothing more than a divine miracle. Again, obscure carpenter from Nazareth we should know nothing about, and we know more about his life than we do any Roman emperor. I mean, the world would have said, well, Rome was, Rome was king, Rome was there. Oh, there, then shouldn't there be just like documented history and history and history of the Roman Empire? But there's not. Through the ages, it's been lost. We've got fragments of Roman history, but it's all. And, and they'll get their nose in schoolhouses, and they'll teach that Roman history just like they do the dinosaur bones. They'll find one bone, they'll construct the rest of it and say, this is what it looked like, and they have no clue. All they found was one giant leg bone, and they made a dinosaur out of it. So with Roman history, we have fragments of history from Rome, and we know all about Rome, and they teach it as fact. If they totally ignore this, it's because it's a supernatural book. It's a supernatural book. So it's a miracle we've got this. Amen? I mean, you should honor this. I mean, that, that should, if you want to know what, give me a reason to believe in God, His Word. It's no accident that we've got this book. Now, why did I include 16, 17, 18? Have you ever thought about this? All right, the guys followed Jesus. And, and frankly, they were in it for the money. Okay? When they said, now, initially, come follow me. And they, they began to understand that he was going to be the Messiah. Now, here's why that's important. Messiah, king. They weren't thinking suffering Messiah, they were thinking reigning king Messiah. They were thinking that he was going to overthrow the Roman government. They were going to, he was going to be the king and they were going to be the lieutenants. Okay? They would have a place of prominence and power and, I think, wealth in the kingdom that they perceived. Okay? They followed Jesus. It isn't long for things start going south. Okay? And progressively gets worse and worse and worse. The Jewish people are against him. Rome, of course, is against him. And then in the end, what happens? In fact, he tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're going to nail me to a tree, and I'm going to die. And, and of course, they told the part about the third day, but they'd already zoned out on that. Okay? And so, Jesus dies. And I, lo- I listened to a message um, Friday morning called, Nick and Joe Save Easter. Think about it. Because, and I, I, I thought this was so cool. It was common after a, man, a criminal was crucified, for his body to remain on the cross, remain on the cross for like days. So it would rot good. Then they took a wagon and they threw all the bodies into a wagon and they hauled it out to Gehenna, the valley, the dump, and they threw all the bodies in a mass grave and covered them up. That's what would have happened to the body of Jesus. And it would have been really cool if, if on the third day Jesus shows up and says, Hey, here I am. Okay? But then people would have said, Well, he wasn't really dead. But Nick and Joe, Nicodemus and Joseph, Arimathea, took the body down, and they embalmed it. And that involved wrapping all these 100 pounds of spices around the body, wrapping the body very tightly, and they would have checked for every sign of life. Nick and Joe inadvertently proved he was dead. And on the third day, he resurrected. Hang on. So, the rumor went around, matter of fact, said, tell, tell them that, that the disciples stole the body. But let me ask you a question. Why did Peter and the guys propagate? Why would they propagate a lie? I mean, they obviously weren't. They, this, this man made them outlaws. Following him would have continued to make them outlaws. If, if he was, in fact, dead and stayed dead, would they not have said, hey, let's get back to life normal? Let's go back. Maybe Dad will give us the boat and nets back. 
Wouldn't they have? Why would they have risked being outlaws, being heard or crucified themselves over a lie? They wouldn't have. And yet they were willing to put their life on the line for this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what the greatest proof of the resurrection is the fact that the people were willing to die for that truth. You know why? They saw it. They saw it. It was real. It was real. And Peter in the Scripture introduces that thought. There were already some false teachers running around when Peter was doing his thing, writing his book, you know, his letter, you know, when he's writing his, his letters to the, to the folks. You know, they were, they were around saying, oh, oh the, you know, the conception of Jesus Christ, the, the, the uh, fact that Jesus Christ was human, that, that, was a, that was a fable. That was a myth. Okay? That resurrection thing, myth, and here's what's cool. They were teachers. It's kind of like some of our professors over in some of the seminaries back in the 80s were saying to Virgin Berg, no, that didn't really happen. Professors in our seminaries. That's why we had to have the resurgence of, of the conservatism in the Southern Baptist Convention. We'd gone crazy. Gone crazy. So there are false teachers saying Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Jesus did not resurrect. And Jesus is not coming back. That's just a, those are all fables. And so what we have here is Peter countering that false teaching and leading into a discussion about the Word of God. Here's how it starts. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly, cleverly, I'm having a hard time with words today, cleverly contrived myths. We did not come up with fables. And, and the implication of the Greek is, is that it's fables about other gods. And because, again, if you take away the fact that Jesus was God and take away the resurrection and his second coming, you just made him another small g God. Okay? So Peter's saying, we did not follow. We didn't come up with these clever myths. And like these, like these other guys, these false teachers are saying that, that Jesus wasn't God in the flesh and that he did not resurrect and that he's not coming back. Those are the fables. We didn't come up with those. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power in the coming. That refers to a second coming. The belief that Jesus Christ is coming again. Good place to say amen, Baptist. Jesus is coming back. See, that's so cool. And you can understand this. Let's, come on, let's just be honest. We look back in history, most of us Sunday night Christians, we look back and we say, of course the cross happened. Of course we believe in the virgin birth. Christmas, of course. Who could deny Christmas? You know? you know? Of course we believe in the resurrection. You know, we celebrate every April or March or May around there. We always do. That's history. The second coming is history yet to happen. History yet to happen. It's going to happen. Jesus Christ is coming back someday. And Peter's saying, you just mark it down, guys. Mark it down. We made known to you the power and, and, and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now, he starts introducing an idea that he's had a preview. Now, you know what the previews are? You know, you always show up to the theater a little bit early to see the previews of coming attractions. Okay? You get to see what movies are coming out, if you want to see them or not. Peter's alluding to the fact that he has been privy to a preview of the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
that there was a time when, when some guys and Jesus kind of went up on a mountain. We're going to read the story in just a moment, okay? And they had a preview of what Jesus is going to be like in his glory. Okay, we've already seen this, he's saying. Not that we're going to see it, we've seen it. Look at verse number 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, a voice came to him from the majestic glory, and that's just another name for God. This is my beloved Son, I take delight in him. Peter's saying, there was a time when, when we were privy to this, and, and we were there, and he received honor and glory from God the Father. And God confessed his approval of Jesus Christ. This is my son. I take delight in him. I am well pleased with him. And interestingly enough, in verse, verse 18, and we heard his voice. It's so cool, because again, we're fixing to read it. Peter saw some incredible things. But it wasn't the, what he saw that impressed him. It was what he heard that impressed him. You know, bad thing happened this afternoon. Bad. I can't explain it to you. But I got an itch for a car. I ain't going to get one. Because Pooter, Pooter, <laughs> Pooter's the money manager. And the money manager doesn't say, you ain't getting a car. You've got a car. You know, and that's cool because she's the money manager. But you know, there's just something... I kind of had a hankering for a Mustang GT. If you're going to wish, you might as well wish big. Now, notice I said a Mustang GT. I don't want a regular Mustang. You know why? They look good, but they don't sound good. Okay, that, they got that little six-cylinder in there, and it goes, umba, umba. I want one of them V8s that go, I want the whole experience. It's cool if a car looks fast, but honey, when it sounds fast, it's just better. And what got Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration? He saw Jesus Christ transformed before his eyes, but he heard the voice of God. And that grabbed him and changed him away for all eternity. He said, this is my son. And what he, what he heard just impacted his life in a great way. Now take your Bibles and look back to Luke chapter 9, verse 27 through 36. Let's just read this real carefully, or quickly and carefully. Luke chapter 9. Man, we could jump out a sermon. There's a sermon here. Luke chapter 9, verse 27. Jesus speaking. If you've got a red print, you'll see this verse is in red. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Okay, so Jesus is saying, there's somebody standing here today until they see the kingdom of God, they're not going to die. And then I love this. Now, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus Christ has said. About eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. Now, by the way, this is not bad pizza. This really happened. Moses and Elijah came down, and they saw Jesus Christ in his glorified state. All right? And uh, who appeared in glory and spoke... Now, watch this. I look, let me back up and get third, because I love this. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decrees, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. I, you know, I think it's so cool. Here, they, here he meets with Moses and Elijah in his glorified state. And what's the topic of the session? The greatest event in human history. 
the crucifixion. Come on, guys. That's how powerful the crucifixion is. When Moses and Elijah show up to talk with Jesus one day, man, they want to talk about the cross. That's why that's always by the central message. That's why this man is choosing song after song after song, speaking about sacrifice and blood, because he's understanding how important the appeasement of, our, of God's wrath for our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ is. Come on, we're a people of blood. It's huge. And he talks about Jesus decreased Jesus' death in Jerusalem. But Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they were kind of groggy. They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to, him, to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. You know, he's just kind of like, wow. He's like, you know, yeah. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is it, this is my beloved son, hear him. And the voice that sees, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of these things that they had seen. Now Peter speaks about it. Now Peter says, I'm telling you, I've seen a foretaste of the second coming. I am eyewitness to the fact that Jesus Christ will return in a glorified state. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that cool? I mean, I say it's history that's yet to happen. That's how sure it is. All right? Then verse number 19. So then, he says, we have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. We have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. Now, this is so cool, okay? I know this can mean several things, but one thing it means for sure. We have the prophetic word. Now, again, Jesus is all over the Old Testament. That's what I was trying to tell you this morning. With the Koran, it's a progressive revelation. Things just, as he supposedly got things from Allah, okay, it would contradict each other, okay? Well, what's the latest revelation? Because it contradicts that revelation. And then I what the revelation was. You can go to Genesis and you'll find Jesus. You can go to Malachi and you'll find Jesus. You can go to 2 Samuel and you'll find Jesus. You can go to the book of Revelation and you'll find Jesus. You can go to Jude and you'll find Jesus because Jesus is all over the Word of God. It's not been a progressive revelation. It's the same revelation. And we've seen that confirmed. Look at Isaiah 53. I want to come down on the the Jewish leaders. Because they they knew Isaiah 53. They were scholars of the law. But when they saw it fulfilled, they were blinded by their own desires. In their head, they had come up with this kingly Messiah. They chose to... Hello? They chose to ignore Isaiah 53 even when they saw it happening. Do you wonder if that's what people do with the Word of God today? That we choose to ignore even when we see it happening? We have a more sure word of prophecy. A confirmed word. They saw, Peter saw Isaiah 53, Old Testament. He saw it and acted out in in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a more sure word. We see it confirmed. Someone once said, Never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. And we have this confirmed, confirmed prophecy. So we have the perfect word strongly confirmed. Now watch this, I like this. You will do well to pay attention to it. What? The confirmed prophecies. You'll do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dismal place. Another word picture of the word of God. You would do well to pay attention to this. 
You would do well to pay attention to this. As a light shining in your dismal world. Bring it home. As a light shining in your dismal world. Now, what's dark in your world? Are you lonely tonight? Are you depressed tonight? Are you concerned tonight? Are you fearful tonight? Are you sinful tonight? You would do well to take heed to this more sure, confirmed prophecy as a light shining into your dismal world. That God wants to shine, take His Word, a lamp, and shine it into your dark world to bring clarification, to bring hope, to bring peace where you are. Is that not cool? How radical is that? But you only get that benefit if you read it. You only get the benefit if you apply it. Again, you know, Dr. Matt, he'll, you go and you say, he'll say, do this, do this, and do this. Or Dr. Laura, do this, do this, do this, do this. And, and, it, and they'll tell you, it just don't do any good to pay your copay and let them tell you what you ought to do and go home and do what you're going to do. But I found an amazing fact that when I do what he or she tells me to do, I get better. Blow me over with a fan. Come on, right, man? And that's what God's Word is shouting. Say, do what it says. Let the light shine in your dismal world. Let it turn out the darkness and turn on the light. How long, Dwayne? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts? Till Jesus comes? As the song says, till He returns or calls me home? How long, Dwayne, till He comes or I go? That's how long. And it makes the journey incredible when we allow this to happen in our lives. Now, verse 20. First of all, you should know this. First of all, is priority. Importance. No prophecy. Say no prophecy. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Okay, four possible means. I'll read them. Got them written down here. Number one is, you must take Scripture in context. Agree with that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. We are famous for taking a Scripture out of context and claiming it as some kind of promise from God. It has nothing to do with us. Okay? We'll take a, a verse out of context and build a whole doctrine on it. Okay? Now, once again, I'll, I'll just you one in my past. When I went to an independent Baptist church, there's a scripture, I think, somewhere in Numbers or somewhere. One verse. The woman shall not wear that which appears to, uh, appeals to a man. Appear, should wear men's clothes. I mean, it's, it's just out there somewhere. And I, when, every, every Sunday in the independent Baptist church, I had to hear a message that touched on two things. Long hair and pants on women. We can be preaching on Malachi chapter 3, and we got long hair and, and pants somewhere in there. And they took these two scriptures because, because it was a real cultural thing in those days. That's back when long hair was fashionable in the end. And they would go there and say, doesn't nature itself teach you that a man shouldn't have long hair? And I always said, what's wrong? What's wrong? But the key part was, it became a pivotal doctrine of the church, how long I wore my hair. I don't know if God really cares how long I wear my hair. And probably doesn't care, ma'am, if you wear pants to church or not. But you would know that if you went to some churches. So be sure and get your scripture in the context for which it is made. That's important. 
Number two, we cannot interpret Scripture as we like. In fact, we can't, we can't ignore the parts we don't like and only do the parts we do like. Nor can we interpret it to mean what we want it to mean. You just can't do that. And yet, if we're not careful, we will. Well, the Bible means this. And we say exactly what we want it to mean. Not what it may mean. Third thing is this. I agree with this. You need the Holy Spirit to grasp the Bible. The Holy Spirit makes this book come alive. The, the Holy Spirit makes this book come alive. And so we need that. That's why a lost man can read the Word and doesn't do it. But you as a believer can read it and, whoa, it just comes alive. That's because of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing is this, and certainly means this, that, that prophets did not speak of their own. They speak as God moved them. And that most definitely is true. In fact, that backs it up in verse number 21. Because no prophecy, say no prophecy, no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't just you know, Isaiah writing or Peter writing or John writing what they thought sounded good for the day. It was God moving through those men. God speaking through those men. And that's the word that we have. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 4, and verse number 12, it's close with this one. It describes this wonderful book as a sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living. And the way it's living, by the way, is in our lives. It's living because it has the effect in our lives. This, this truth is living as it impacts our lives. There is power in this Word because it's alive to change people's lives. Okay? The Word of God is living. It's powerful. It's effective. Okay? Now, if that being true, one, we should learn it, and we should learn to use it. A sword is a powerful weapon in the hands of someone who knows how to use it. Put a sword in someone else's hands, and it becomes something that's dangerous. Would you agree with that? Agree with that? So, so we should learn it and learn how to use it. The Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword and, and penetrating as far as from the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. And here's what it is. Here's what it is. The Word of God needs to be able to be a two-edged sword. And what it does is it cuts... Now, you're not going to like this imagery. A Roman soldier used this double-edged sword as a sword machine. A... a, a, a yeah, sewing machine. S-O-W-I-N-G. Well, probably reaping, wouldn't it? A reaping machine. Uh, he's mowing you down is what I'm trying to say. I told you I was struggling tonight. Okay? But he was walking to battle, both sides of the sword going. And literally, he would open men up. That's the imagery. I'm sorry. And what Paul... Or, well, if Paul wrote Hebrews... What, he's, what the author of Hebrews is saying is the Word of God is that powerful, it makes known... What is not seen. It makes known on the inside and brings it to the outside. That is the power of the Word of God. And that power is released when we allow God's Word to work in our hearts. Guys, I hope you'll take this to heart. I'm telling you, there is a world out there who so desperately needs truth. And they say truth lived out in us. And I pray as we take this message today, both these messages, that we'll take it to heart 
And we'll once again become the people of the Word. We'll once become a people, the Baptist and his Bible. A people who read the Word of God, who knows the Word of God, who applies the Word of God to our lives. We are so blessed, so blessed to have this book. I've been to a place. You know, back in 1977, that's back when the Iron Curtain was still up. A missionary that was in our church in Germany smuggled Bibles by the Iron Curtain. He had an RV. He posed as a rich um, oil man from Texas. And he would stash Bibles in the RV and try to get through into the borders, into East Germany and beyond, to give Bibles away to believers that didn't have them. We see in Africa where, where again, believers in Jesus Christ, they're in bondage because they can't read. They're in bondage that way. And plus, there are no Bibles for believing Africans because sometimes it's not even translated in their language yet. There's no Bible for the Torah yet. There's, no, is there, there's a bomber Bible. Okay, but again, most of them can't read it. So we need to thank God that we have what we have. Amen? The Word of God. Let's pray together. Well, thank you, Father, for the privilege of sharing tonight again from your Word. I really do thank you, Father, for it. I really do. Those aren't just preacher words. I don't know if I'm just getting older, God, or why, but it sure is meaningful. And Father, we need to apply it. I know we do. I know I do. Father, I pray that I'll be a surrendered believer. I'll be a surrendered believer in Jesus Christ. I would pray that I would allow the Word of God to make open, Father, and bring what is inside out. And Father, expose uh, imperfections and sins in my life. Father, I pray that I'll give you the freedom to um, use the sword in my life. But with that said, Father, I pray that for our church family. Father, I pray we'll become a people of the Word. Father, I pray in Jesus' name and in your name and the power of your name that we'll become a people that once again are just madly in love with the Savior and His Word. So, Father, I know the Holy Spirit can only bring that. I know. So I guess I'm praying for an outburst of revival in our church, in our lives. God, thank you that we're born in America. Thank you for 235 years of freedom. Thank you that we have this wonderful word and we can teach it and have a copy and live it and talk about it without fear of retribution. And may I just pause and pray for the ones in the world where that's just not the case, where it just doesn't happen. So thank you, God, for where we are in this precious gift you've given me. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.